All right, welcome to this edition of the NIL Report. Michael Spath co-hosting with me. I'm Jeff Sloan. Michael, the schools, athletes, businesses, this is such a fast-moving space. Everyone's trying to find their way, figure out their own way of doing their part and participating in the both the opportunities and the challenges associated with NIL these days. Got an interesting guest on the show today. They're certainly thinking out of the box, doing some unique things and moving the needle a bit. Michael, tell us who we've got. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Matt Banker, the Associate Athletic Director at the University of Louisville in charge of their name, image, and likeness program uh, down with the Cardinals. And what I found really fascinating about this whole space, Jeff, is that when you look at it, you know, the NCAA didn't give a, a whole lot of guidelines when they uh, essentially threw open the doors on July 1st, 2021 and said, go ahead, athletes, make money off of your own personal name, image, and likeness. And some states responded with immediately, uh, you know, enacting um, executive orders from their governors. We already talked to a representative from Ohio State and a few episodes ago who that's what happened in Ohio. And when we talked to Matt here in just a minute, that's what happened in Kentucky. Their governor uh, issued an executive order. Other states had name, image, and likeness laws on the books, um, or in the case of the state of Michigan, essentially just like passed the legislation immediately uh, and, and said like, okay, you guys are going to follow the policies. But even then, that allowed each school some freedom to kind of craft whatever they wanted to do. And so I think what's really interesting is every school is maybe a slightly a little bit different. And when I was reading through the University of Louisville's uh, name, image, and likeness, you know, policy on their official site. There are a couple things that popped out to me. And so, Matt, welcome to the NLI Report. Thank you very much for joining us. Looking forward to discussing what the Cardinals are doing. Thanks for having me and, uh, no, looking forward to this conversation. Matt, so you've got this executive order that comes out. How quickly, like, what was Louisville doing behind the scenes to, to put your policy in place? And did you have the policy that I read before this interview today, was that ready to go on July 1st? When did you guys roll that out? And how much tweaking have you done in the last seven or eight months since? Sure. You know, name image like this in, in many respects is, has certainly been around for a long time in, in terms of, you know, student athletes, name image likeness used in game programs on websites, you know, to promote the team activities, those sorts of things. So, you know, as I've shared with others over the past year, really, it's like, you know, we've been navigating this for, for many years as schools across the country have been, especially if you have higher profile student athletes that are going to have that sort of potential commercial interest in, in sort of where those worlds collide. Um, in terms of our policy, we were certainly mapping some things out, you know, into the summer, um, but then also realized, you know, at first we're going to have an executive order. So we've got a starting point in terms of what our state is, is guiding uh, for us to do and not do. And then off of that, we were able to pivot because the executive order in some places says, you know, the institution can set their policies and, and they gave examples of, of where that could be done. For example, obviously, you know, not conflicting uh, NIL activities with team activities. So missing practice or missing team travel to go mm-hmm. do a commercial shoot, which seems like an obvious thing. But those are the types of scenarios and, and situations that you wanted to make sure we contemplated um, in terms of putting a policy together. And then more recently, you know, th- this this first six, seven months of NIL being live, um, you learn some things along the way. It's an ever-evolving space. The marketplace itself is constantly changing and, and pivoting. And so we've, we've adjusted some things in terms of, you know, uh, for prospects and signees and, and how they would be reporting. But 
probably our more significant update to our policies relates to the ability to use our marks and logos um, in a more permissive way. Um, and, and you're kind of seeing that around the country. Some schools and some states uh, actually have more restrictions against that for us and per our executive order, it's really left to our school to kind of decide if and how much um, involvement with licensing and our student athletes NIL activities where we're comfortable with those worlds merging. And, and so we continue to kind of push forward and, and really to support our student athletes in some opportunities and then collaborate with, you know, third parties that are involved with licensing, you know, like we're a Learfield um, school. And so they've got a program in which, you know, a, a third party company could come forward who's never had the rights to our marks and logos, but also might want to be doing a name image likeness um, sponsorship deal directly with student athletes and sort of how do the, does that sort of like three pronged um, transaction work as we're doing a licensing uh, opportunity with a sponsor, the sponsor is doing an NIL activity with the student athlete. And of course the student athlete is going to, you know, our school. So making sure we're all on the same page with how that can permissibly work and, and, and providing kind of another enhancement to what, to which student athletes can pursue their NIL. All right. So Matt, that is the one that I really, I think is really fascinating. And I know Jeff wants to ask about some fair market value stuff because that's in your legislation too, uh, or your personal policy. Um, but this is the quote from your interim athletic director, Josh Hurd, uh, recently, about two weeks ago. Uh, he said, the number one priority for us is we have to put ourselves in the best position possible to attract the best talent. A lot of that is going to hinge on what we do as we move forward with name, image, and likeness. We need to stay at the forefront. And then here's the quote. I think it's our job to try to create as many of those opportunities as possible for all of our student athletes. And I think, and what you're just getting at and what you just kind of explained a little bit, Matt, is what I think is the most fascinating part uh, of what Louisville is now doing. Because at the same time as you guys announced this, Ohio State also announced that they're going to be um, in a position to help facilitate some deals for student athletes. And when this first all came out, it seemed like most schools were saying, no, we're not going to do anything. We'll provide compliance and we'll provide some resources, but we're not getting involved in any of the negotiation with any of the connecting third parties to our, our student athletes. That's not our role. But most of the laws that I saw didn't say that that was not allowed. In fact, I spent a lot of time with the state of Michigan law and it says you are not required to create, facilitate, make deals for student athletes. It doesn't say you're perm are permitted from doing so. And yet the university of Michigan has not done so, has not facilitated those deals. And so I'm a, I'm a little bit curious, A, where you guys started with maybe the idea that we won't make these deals for student-athletes, and now it seems like, at least reading that quote and what you just said about how you can use a third party and making a deal, for a licensing deal, a little bit more of like, we're going to help our student-athletes make some of these deals because it's good for our student-athletes, and it's probably good for attracting that talent to the University of Louisville. Yeah, it is. And it's really important to clarify, you know, our involvement in, in the opportunities that, that our athletic director, Josh, had referenced is really being able to amplify what is out there, what's available. You know, we have a lot of business leaders, whether they're locally and nationally, coming forward and saying, you know, we would be interested in pursuing NIL. How do I go about doing that? So it's, it's really a a role for us as an institution to put our student athletes in a position to maximize those opportunities. Whereas we're not necessarily going out and like negotiating their deal or actually going to be in essence, their headhunter to go get the deals because in a couple of respects, one is they, they can hire 
you know, NIL, what we call NIL agents today, they could permissibly do that as well. That was one other area that the NCA relaxed its amateurism rules on. But everything short of that is really what Josh and, and really our certainly our whole athletics department and university is behind to help our, our student athletes find where those opportunities are, bring in um, subject matter experts and, and even some of these companies to explain what their process is. You know, a lot of these live online in terms of, you know, finding what we call a matchmaker, a company that can connect brands with the student athletes. There's several of those out there. You know, how does that process work? And, and just kind of navigating, um, helping with education. You kind of mentioned that too is, you know, helping what is in essence are business transactions at the end of the day and, and kind of understanding fundamentals of contracts, which we've offered um, sessions for our student athletes on that, negotiations, um, all, all of those kind of pieces to a transaction. So we're, we're definitely, you know, doing as much as we can, also recognizing that our executive order is still in a place where, you know, directing compensation and, and some of those, I'll say, very linear and very direct or blunt sort of involvement is is still restricted in our state. So we can do a, a lot, but we can't actually be the one sort of at the table saying we're negotiating to get these five student athletes a deal. But if someone comes to us and says, hey, we would like to do a deal with those student athletes, we're certainly going to try to connect those people, let the student athletes and those businesses come up with the agreement that both sides, you know, are, are um, interested in, in terms of the terms. And, and that's how these are, are playing out in many ways. Yeah, Matt, I'm curious when you guys, when the, when the powers at Louisville get in a closed room and you're having a discussion around shaping uh, how you're going to go about NIL as a school, as a university, what are the factors, you know, what are the pressures? Are you looking at what other schools are doing? I'm sure you're taking all this into account. Is it the pressure from the athletes is it recruiting? You know, what are the things you guys are thinking about and talking about that lead to the ultimate shaping of your policy? You know, what are the things that make you guys say, hey, we got to address this. We got to look at that. We got to go here. We got to go there. Uh, just curious how that all plays out and what kind of the hot button issues are today. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great question because there are so many spokes to this as it relates to how does NIL in reality play out on a campus and, and certainly at a, at a school like ours where you know, we've got a strong brand in our Cardinal logo and those things and, and have good, you know, history. We've got both at the football and basketballs, but all of our Olympic sports, very competitive. So we kind of already know there's going to be interest in, in kind of being able to navigate that in a way to not forget our student athletes still have their classes and their competition and their training, all those sort of core elements to their experience that we don't want that to be infringed as best we can, you know, we, and, and then second is, um, you know, certainly realizing recruiting, um, you know, the interest and opportunities um, about NIL around your school are coming up certainly more and more on the recruiting trail from both the prospects and parents alike. Um, hey, what are the opportunities here? What are the Fortune 500 companies that are in your, you know, neck of the woods, those kind of things. And we're uniquely positioned to be at, you know, a power five school in the Atlantic Coast Conference in, in a pretty big city that has none of the four major sports. I think that's one of the things that once you get here, you realize, boy, UofL is the big game in town. Those are the kind of elements that certain schools could be well positioned. And, and there are different variables there, right? You know, we're not, you know, a UCLA or USC that's in the sort of the Hollywood's, you know, uh, backyard but we're in a hotbed of college sports fanaticism where fans are so loyal 
and interested businesses are interested. And so those are natural fits for NIL opportunities. And, and so that's a really uh, big positive for us at, at UofL. And then and certainly we're looking at some of the national trends, um, you know, something like a collective that, you know, outside business owners, donors can put together if they want. Um, but at the end of the, the day, whether that comes through a collective um, or just an individual business, they all lead to the ultimately the same thing, which is you get, get an NIL opportunity. The student athlete has to fulfill their side of it. And that gets into the sort of compliance and protecting eligibility side is that it can't be pay for play. Um, but it's a pretty kind of a simple formula when you when you boil it down to, you know, the student athlete completing something, whether it's social media influencing an appearance at a store, autograph session, all those sorts of versions of what an NIL activity can look like. And then they get compensated for it. And, you know, even mentioning fair market value, that is still evolving too. Like that, that is something that, um, you know, it may be another year or two before things really settle down in the marketplace as it relates to fair market value. So there hasn't been any sort of restrictions or call offs, if you will, to say, hey, that deal can't happen because that student athlete shouldn't be getting that particular compensation for doing that activity. It's, it's still a, a pretty wide open uh, space right now. I find that really interesting, the, the concept of fair market value. Where did the concept come from? Why do you establish a fair market value? Why wouldn't you let the market just determine the value? Yeah, it's, it's almost like a circular yes. <laughs> argument, right? Right, it's right, a, right. It, it, it's really it's a tough one. It, it's, it, it's a tough one, and it, it really is something that it's hard to say what's fair market value when the marketplace hadn't existed before. In this case, are you doing that as a service to your athletes so that they know how to price an opportunity with them, or what's really driving the need to establish a fair market value and publish it? You know, I, I, I think part of that is really dovetails on you know where the NSA rules have certainly always existed because it, it has a undertone of, of, of what pay for play is. Meaning right. yep. if you're doing something and it's worth a hundred dollars, but you're getting paid $5,000 to do it, you know, is that extra compensation mm-hmm. in that example, significant extra compensation, something that's going to implicate an NSA amateurism rule, which right. that's where the NSA has continued to say, look, there's certainly relief on, Right. Student athletes using their NIL for compensation, you know, that's that's been relaxed, but they also just can't take money for not doing anything. And and somewhere between those two poles sits, you know, this fair market right. value concept. Right. Well, I think there's also the issue of, you know, is this really a deal or a business really has gone about this as a business deal? Or is this some recruiting tool or something else going on from a booster? Say, for example, you guys probably have given that some thought as you consider establishing a fair market value as well. Yeah, certainly. And, and that's where I think you're going to see a lot of businesses who may have gotten into this, you know, nationally. There were a lot of announcements on July 1st, and, and that might have been more of an opportunist uh, approach of, hey, we're going to get some great publicity as a company because this is brand new, but we may not do this July 1st of 2022. We're just going to do it the first go around. You know, there's there's some different, you know, strategies from a from a business and marketing standpoint that the companies may be taking um, but yeah, cer- certainly there's ties that student or that businesses and business owners have with particular schools. Maybe they're an alum, maybe it's the, it's the local, you know, division one school in their neighborhood, that kind of thing that they want to be supportive of. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, fair market value is just one of those topics that had been discussed leading up to July one, but they're probably, 
it's going to take a while for this to really settle in and and knowing that fair market values is something that hasn't been set yet it's really not our position to say that's that's not for our fair market value but this is when we don't have much to draw from well and one of the big challenges too matt is that when you're trying to determine fair market value there's a difference between fair market value for hey uh maybe i've got a coffee shop and i'm going to use someone to promote my coffee shop but is this person you know an average joe you know even if they are an influencer, are they an influencer on the level of a student athlete? And so you almost kind of have to wait for for what the student athlete fair market value is across college athletics. But the one thing with that, that, you know, I think, Matt, and you talk about pay, pay for play, and I'm really big about how we got to avoid pay for play. And I'll ask you a follow-up question in a minute here, uh, is right now, I think because they're not employees of the university, from what I understand, at least at this, the institutions that I have talked to, and I've talked about 20 of them, these student athletes do not need to disclose the deals that they sign with the general public. You cannot FOIA this stuff. You cannot put it in a freedom of information as a reporter and say, what is the deal? At least in the states that I have worked with so far. Maybe that's different in Kentucky. But in doing so, like, how do you deter, determine fair market value if you don't know what football player or basketball player in the state of Alabama or Michigan or California or Texas is getting paid unless they themselves or the business that they're working with announces it. And I don't think you've seen a ton of that. I think you've seen maybe a little bit here and there, but for the most part, it's been kept a little bit on the, you know, the, a little bit quiet of what the, the actual transaction is. Yeah. You, you raise some good points. Cause you do get into elements that even the agreement itself may say, Hey, student athlete, you can't disclose this to anybody. Uh, the business may not want to disclose for their own reasons. Um, or, you know, another angle to this is, you know, student athletes who have NIL agents also say, I don't want you disclosing what, you know, what we're earning, you know, on the NIL trail. And so, yeah, from a reporting standpoint and a Freedom of Information Act standpoint, yeah, there's, there's generally going to be some, I'll say, you know, restrictions or limitations on, on what, any entity, you know, media entity or, or otherwise could receive if they came to us as a public institution. Certainly we would go through our normal process with our public records request office and um, and, and, and go through that. But yeah, you're right. There, there's going to be limits on, on what the, the public can know. And what's interesting too is some of the splashy headlines in the last six, seven months of this student athlete getting this kind of deal or that kind of deal. And those may be true. And you've even heard of some, you know, million dollar deals. Um, you're also seeing instances where some major announcements are happening and you're not necessarily seeing the activity. And even the company may say, you know what, we didn't have a deal with that particular student athlete. So there's, there, there's a little bit of gamesmanship that can happen with some of the, the headlines that are happening, uh, either for purposes of student athletes trying to kind of build their exposure or or, or otherwise. So there, there's there's some... Um, it's kind of an interesting time for sure. That's an understatement, but the, the reality of yes, the fair market value piece being really, uh, kind of a known quantity in the public sphere, um, definitely has not happened yet. And, and we ask for the reporting for our student athletes really for two reasons. One, it's a, it, it helps cover them from an eligibility standpoint. If you've got some documentation that you did X, Y, Z deal, and you performed this act activity, you, you ran a camp. You used your NIL and, and earned income for it. You reported it to us. 
if a question ever came up that that was a no show thing and you just got paid by some outside entity, you know, we'd have some trail of that. And then the second component there is you really learn what the student athletes and the companies they're engaging with to see where maybe some additional education opportunities, maybe some outreach directly from our school to those companies um, could be helpful to those companies too, just, just so that we're kind of good stewards of, of this whole process, uh, knowing yeah, that yeah. at the end of the day, we're still helping our student athletes at, by doing so. Yeah, it's it's all very fascinating, and and Matt, as we uh, as we kind of finish up here, just a, a couple of more for you. And you know, I'm looking at Malik Cunningham, who was on my college fantasy football team this past year, uh, and loved it because as a guy who was a dual threat, who sometimes scored more touchdowns on the ground than he did uh, throwing the football in any given game, uh, he was a huge uh, point accumulator for me in my fantasy football um, league. So you know, it, it's interesting because like a young man like that. You know, there is an incentive for the University of Louisville to uh, their football program to say Malik Cunningham's getting $1 million right now from name, image, and likeness because all of a sudden that 17, 18-year-old young man who is being recruited and he's looking at a couple of schools is going, whoa, I can make a million dollars at the University of Louisville if I'm the starting quarterback. At the same time, there is that uh, push and pull because Malik Cunningham, you make that announcement, and I haven't seen a lot of schools make the announcement. I've seen some coaches. Nick Saban did it really early on with Bryce Young, but since then he's kind of kept a little quiet about it. Uh, and and you know, again, a lot of these these uh, athletes themselves are not making these big announcements because I've heard from people, hey, if I hear my quarterback's making a million bucks and I'm the starting running back and I'm getting fifteen hundred yards, well, where's my million dollars? And if I'm the wide receiver that's catching the majority of his passes, well, where's my five hundred thousand dollar deal? Like, and so there's a lot of dynamics here at play. So it's, it's again, it, it makes some sense for Louisville to say, look at this huge deal that Malik Cunningham is getting because it helps you in the future. But at the same time, if it creates locker room issues or incre- it, it, it hits gender equity and like a, a basketball player is saying, you know, a female athlete saying like, well, where's my big deal? I mean, there's so much here at play. And, you know, I, I wonder how you're, you, know, you guys try to balance that of saying, is it better for us to put it out there or is it better for us to keep it kind of quiet and just internally know what we can talk to student, uh, prospective student athletes about? Sure. I mean, that, that, that's a really important dynamic um, because, you know, from our perspective as an institution, we're, we're not amplifying or advertising what the student athletes are making in, in, in that way. At the same time, many of, and we can use Malik as a, as a great example you know, from a, including from a recruiting standpoint, a lot of the actual activity exists in a very public way. So, you know, we have recruits being brought to campus who on their way to campus are seeing, you know, a permissible major um, brand advertisement that has Malik on it on this billboard uh, with one of our corporate partners, Planet Fitness. And, and that's a, a great example, like, wow, you're having that kind of opportunities here. So those kind of things, are going to be visible anyways because of what they, where they live, whether it's on social media, whether it's on a billboard or what have you, the actual dollars that are tied to that, that's where we're very deferential to the student athlete and say, look, th- this is your business, literally and, and figuratively, like it's your business as it relates to how much you're making in, in this. Um, if you want to share it with the recruit, that's up to you. We've kind of had those conversations um, but our, our job, in, including supporting our programs from a recruiting standpoint, is certainly to say, look, there are a lot of opportunities if you come to U of L, regardless of what sport you play. You know, we have we have such a, a strong business climate. We have a, a fanatic fan base, and not just here, just nationally as well. So, 
those things naturally are going to lend themselves to opportunities. That's what we, we firmly believe in. And so, you know, if, if conversations happen between a prospect and a student athlete and say, hey, you know, what did that look like? And the student athlete wants to share, then that's that's great. That's up to them. But that's not something we don't feel like that's our role. You know, it's appropriate and, and really necessary. A lot of this is also, you know, still evolving, right? We're not even one year into it. And so, um, you know, once you share information, uh, you also kind of put yourself on one point of the, the spectrum and maybe that's underselling what is to come too. So it can, it can work both ways. All right, Matt, as we finish up, uh, I have to ask you because, uh, as we are recording this podcast, it is February 4th. Uh, just two days ago was national signing day for college football. One of the two national signing days. Uh, there's one in December where most young uh, prospects, young men are now signing their letter of intent. Well, this has not happened as far as I can tell in other conferences, but there is a lot of sniping going on in the SEC right now. Nick Saban has come out and said, we're not getting involved in pay for play. I am not going to do this. We have never paid for a student athlete to come to the University of Alabama. Lane Kiffin, the head coach at Ole Miss is saying, we got to put a salary cap on this thing. We got to stop, uh, you know, we, we got to stop uh, allowing uh, essentially pay for play and even just took a, I mean, complete shot at Texas A&M and said, Hey, you know, their, their, uh, their luxury tax or their, you know, the, the amount of money they spent on their recruiting class to which Jimbo Fisher, the head coach at Texas A&M was, you know, keep, you know, shut your mouth type of stuff. Like don't talk about our program, this whole thing. So, I mean, <laughs> you've got coaches taking verbal shots at each other in the sec saying that people are abusing this, that they are doing pay for play. You know, when you saw, I just got, I guess I want to get your reaction. Again, Louisville has stayed away from that fray. I haven't seen other conferences get into it. The SEC, as you're well aware, seems to be an entirely dynamic unto itself uh, when it comes to college athletics. But from an outsider perspective, are you watching that and saying, whoa, like they're already going after each other. We've really got to be on top of this because, you know, we got to avoid this type of back and forth and all the all of the accusations that can be, you know, thrown across the, you know, the, the ship here. Yeah. This is really speaking to where a national rule, a cl clearer standards would be helpful for everyone. Right. And, and this is where even, you know, whether it's the NCAA or kind of a federal solution, which, you know, those don't happen overnight either. That's why we are in this space that we are in right now, where you have this sort of, you know, I'll say discombobulated set of, of rules across across all the states or, or lack thereof. And, and so where are those lines drawn between legitimate NIL opportunities and pay for play? And then with that, you know, the, the ability to transfer, especially in a sport, and you mentioned football and, and some of the football coaches who have made comments recently, is that now that you can move from school A to school B without sitting out, that just entices that sort of NIL usage as a recruiting inducement if it's not legitimate. And, and that's the tricky part. So what's that, what that is doing, you know, across the country uh, is making coaches really have to re-recruit your own roster, not just, you know, potential transfers that might come in or obviously high school student athletes that, you know, take the traditional route, obviously, as you mentioned, signing uh, their national letter of intent as, as they, they did recently this week. But, it's the idea of like, oh, gosh, now is someone going to put their name in the transfer portal and just hear all these sort of 
NIL pitches and what's that look like. And so what we define recruiting inducement and what we define pay for play moving forward is going to be really interesting in this NIL space because it, it can be hard to delineate those two things where it's just a legitimate NIL opportunity for compensation versus, hey, we're just giving you this money to go play football or any sport at this particular school. So that that is that's a uh, conundrum that I think the NCAA membership, the schools, the leadership are all still wrestling with. And uh, for now, we do our best to make sure as bright of a line as can be is that any NIL op opportunities that are out there are actually a true transaction. The student athlete fulfilled their part of the bargain. The company compensated them for it. And, and that stands on its own merit. All right. Well, Matt, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate that. Cause I know that that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough one, but I, I mean, I had to get your reaction cause I think it's fascinating as a member of the sports media or former member of the sports media to watch this unfold across sports media uh, you know, I just, I just think it's interesting, but, but I'll say this, um, you know, from talking to you, from doing the research on the university of Louisville, I mean, you guys have got a, a great setup going on what you're trying to do with your student athletes, kind of taking that next step forward, uh, in, in, as you said, bringing those brands, you know, your interim athletic director, Josh Hurd mentioned bringing Adidas to the table to talk to student athletes. And so I, I think that is where this has to go. Um, for these institutions is to help create these licensing deals for the student athletes. And then, as you said, continue to provide the education uh, for them, continue to make sure that they're, they're working with the right agents. Uh, because as we know, in, you know, in that business, there can be scrupulous ones and there can be unscrupulous ones. So, um, you know, handling it the, the right way. So it really looks like you've got a great program in place uh, and we'll be tracking how university of Louisville uh, continues to use NIL going forward for its, you know, all of its athletic programs, uh, its football, basketball, great women's basketball program, all the way across uh, your entire landscape. I appreciate those kind words and and uh, and appreciate the time to be on the show. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate it. Really interesting, Michael. Things are fast moving, changing rapidly, day to day. People and and schools and businesses finding their way through the maze with new policies being shaped and everything else. Really interesting. Great guest. Thank you again to Matt. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, Jeff, it's really fascinating stuff. Every interview we have unspools this a little bit more. I mean, this is truly the old analogy of the onion, right? And like mm. every layer we are peeling, sure. uh, it reveals a little bit more. I mean, I tell you what I would love to do next. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd love to get Jimbo Fisher and Lane Kiffin oh, on the boy. phone and have yeah. a conversation about what this looks like. But what I respect about what Louisville is saying and what I respect about the University of Michigan that we have talked to and other institutions, Michigan State that we've talked to, is they are really, really working hard to avoid this pay-for-play. Mm -hmm. Because I think, Jeff, if we, if we blur the lines yeah. and pay-for-play becomes a thing, it changes the entire dynamic. And now, I mean, the, the, you know, the Pandora's box, whatever you want to sure. say, and college sure. athletics, I mean, we've already talked about the seismic shifts in yeah. college athletics. Yeah. If pay for play becomes a thing, it's over with. Yeah, it's no, absolutely, absolutely over with. It unlevels the playing field, and it really makes uh, college sports more like professional sports than college sports, and what it's always been. And you know the rivalries and the the just the inherent uh, you know you know the the inherent raison d'etre for college athletics, what it is, what it's all about, the fabric of it. Uh, that'll all get lost in this if this all becomes about money and driven by money. 
Without a doubt. And then it becomes like who has the most billionaires, right? Exactly. Which school has the right. most billionaires right. and, and how much money are you giving to and each student? Not interesting athlete? anymore. No, right. and I, I think you lose fans at that point. I Absolutely. think it, it destroys everything. So, All right. uh, again, great stuff from, from Matt and from the University of Louisville. And, and we'll talk, you know, finish it up here, Jeff. All right, right on. Well, great stuff. Back next week with another episode here on the NIL Report. If you're an athlete, if you're a business, if you're in the university environment, you're looking to understand what's happening in this space, Join us each week here on the NIL Report.